with the 20th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, presented by AAA. Every athlete has a journey. Focus on the game. Let us worry about getting you there. Auto repair, roadside assistance, and auto insurance. Start your journey at AAA.com. Ladies and gentlemen, I understand it's the first weekend of October. We're in the heart of Eagles season. And everyone's wondering, why college football? But you know what? It's time for a little journey to the draft. It is. It's a journey to the draft podcast presented by AAA. Chris McPherson alongside Fran Duffy. You can almost call this the novice and the master, the teacher and the student. <laughs> we all know who plays which role in this podcast. Uh, I, I think it's good for us just to build a brand, kind of get the ball rolling, start educating the fans so that when it does become draft time, and hopefully it's February after a Super Bowl parade down Broad Street, that everyone will already have uh, kind of a you know, little knowledge about the players in the upcoming draft. I think there are a lot of fans out there that are following along with college football now and have a lot of questions as to you know who are the players that uh, could potentially be Eagles next spring and uh, you know who would be a good fit here, who would be a good fit there. So we decided to quench that thirst. Certainly, and I think it's becoming more prevalent. In the last couple of years, you have a couple of Chip Kelly drafts, you know, under under the belt now, so to speak. You kind of have an idea of what he's looking for as certain players. It's almost, I don't want to say it's not like a secret out there, but they stick to position characteristics and they go by those guidelines. They don't really waver too far from that. No, no question about it. He definitely has uh, certain types, certain body types for uh, certain positions, and you kind of see the characteristics that come to the forefront. We know that uh, how important high character is and things like that, and those are things that we'll find out more. Uh, as the process unfolds here but uh, it's still fun to try and predict and see obviously it's we're, we're in the thick of it this is where we can see stocks go up and stocks <laughs> go down as opposed to talking about it in March when nothing's going on true, very uh, true. this is where we can see the stocks rise and fall it, it is interesting because of the fact that you know there's gonna be all this time to kind of like you know go over guys and get into the nitty-gritty you know things that we're never going to know about we're not going to know injury reports we're not going to know the character evaluations but we're going to see the performances on the field we're going to see the traits that may translate from the college game to the pro game well you know we'll delve into those discuss those now for those of you who have followed the podcast in the past thank you very much if you want to be a new subscriber make sure to subscribe wherever you consume your podcast itunes Podbay, stitcher wherever uh make sure to rate and comment and if there's a segment that you want to see a feature you want to see that this is new for us doing it in the middle of the NFL season, so yep. it's kind of an, an evol- evolution, so to speak. And, yeah, so. any suggestions, go in uh, and leave comments on the iTunes page. You can hit one of us up on Twitter. Certainly. Uh, send an email in. You know, However you want to contact us, uh, feel free if you've got any suggestions, things you want to hear on this podcast as we get through the rest of the college football season. Definitely. So typically the structure has been we do a little draft buzz. We have the pick six feature. and We'll be able to keep those as well as your draft mailbag interviews we're not going to really do too much of that this is really just kind of give a taste to speak and we'll delve delve more into the college results of what happened on the field over the last couple of days primarily saturday of course and talk about those results and what it means moving forward yes no question about it this will be a, a little bit of a cut down version from what you can expect in the spring but i don't know i was doing the notes <laughs> i woke up at five o'clock this morning Well, in I terms said. of the amount of segments i guess but that's yeah, about it though it's, time-wise it'll be in about some time. ways <laughs> It's more topical because you're discussing results. Sure. And it's not, you know, when it comes to the journey to the draft podcast in March and April, you have the body of work already there. Right. And you're just kind of dissecting and rehashing. And we're reacting to what people are saying in the news and, you know, how people are reporting people's stocks and uh, are rising and falling at that point. But absolutely. Certainly. So, uh, First and foremost, a historic day, so to speak. I don't know how often this has happened before, but four of the top eight teams. Go down in college football, Fran. And uh, by the time that this podcast is out there for fans to consume, do you think Temple will be ranked? Uh, they have a chance. I mean, there were a lot of you talked about the four of the top eight teams going down, but then there were also some teams in those low 20s that, that uh, went down too. And that's the thing that really helps Temple. So uh, <laughs> we'll see. You know, you get those those teams from the, the, the 20s that, that lose. That, that bumps them out of the top 25, and now Temple's got a chance to raise up. So. Uh, fingers crossed. We'll see. Hopefully we'll know before uh, Eagles kick off today against Washington. Certainly. All right. So our first segment come up, Draft Buzz. We're going to delve into the latest news and talk about some of those results from Saturday. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. 
All right, so I mentioned a moment ago how four of the top eight teams went down. Ole Miss, destroyed by Florida. Notre Dame, unfortunately losing to Clemson. For those of you who don't know the Fighting Irish fans. so I, I didn't know that about you. Yeah. Four turnovers, you're not going to win the game, even though they no. had a furious rally late. How did that start? It was growing up. So growing up, North Jersey don't have like a college. It's not like you, you're in Pennsylvania. Especially, and Rutgers wasn't what Rutgers, Rutgers wasn't what it, it is now. now or yeah. It wasn't what it was a couple of years ago sure, when Chanel right. was a coach, when they yep. were respectable. Neither of my parents went to big-name programs, so there was no real influence. And Notre Dame, you know, this is the Rocket Ismail, Tony Rice, you know, uh, this is Lou Holtz's, you right. know, top of his tenure. So Play like a champion today. There yes. So, uh, so, you know, and just kind of – I got on the bandwagon then, and I've just rode it ever since. So. All right. It's understandable. And it's nice, you know, when you're working for a team like the Eagles, it's different as a fan – because you still have the fandom on game days, but it's it's a little different, especially if you're in the press box. College football, I can just be a fan, and I can yell and scream at my TV. And I'll do that here at Novacare while watching the game later today, but still. Sure, absolutely. So, among those, and not even talk about the top eight teams, number one, Ohio State. They struggle, even Once though again. they beat Indiana. And then number two, number two, Michigan State. Michigan State they had to hold off a furious rally right. to be able to beat Purdue, so... Uh, we'll go into some of these top 25 battles, and I want to start with Ole Miss. You know, they stunned Alabama a week ago, number three in the nation. Things are looking good. Well, all of a sudden, they go to the swamp, and, you know, they get laid to smackdown by Florida, number five, and no Gators. Yeah. You know, you look, we, uh, we remember this past offseason when they hired Jim McElwain and we talked about on the Journey to the Draft podcast mm-hmm. how good of a hire that was. You know, a guy that has an SEC background, was an offense coordinator under Nick Saban, went to Colorado State as the head coach, kind of built that program up. And Garrett you saw Grayson. Garrett Grayson. <laughs> and they've got a, a stud receiver there in Rashard Higgins, who I'm sure we're going to be talking about uh, in the coming months here as a junior. But, uh, you know, you, you look at what McElwain was able to do at Colorado State. He brings that 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 swagger almost to to Florida, and they kind of have that going for them defensively. They have a good coordinator in Jeff Collins. They already have that unit that Will Muschamp was able to build on that side of the football. So you see guys uh, in the secondary: Vernon Hargreaves, Brian Pools, a senior, uh, Quincy Wilson, and Jordan Tabor. A lot of guys, or Jalen Tabor. A lot of guys on the back end that are talented. But then that front seven: uh, Morrison makes a lot of big plays from that linebacker. McAllister's a great pass rusher. Brian Cox Jr. is a great pass rusher so they've got a lot of talent on the defensive side of the who football. are the guys i know hargreaves i think kind of is top the pack when you're talking about nfl draft prospects he had an interception in the fourth quarter to help uh you know put an exclamation point so to speak on the victory where does he fit among the top corners in the sec well i think the thing with hargreaves is that if he were two inches taller i think everyone would be, we'd be total agreement he would probably be a top 15 top 20 20 pick the problem is that he's listed 5'11", and I find it hard to believe that he's even 5'11". And you know that that's going to be 5'10". Yeah, it may, and maybe. Uh, you know, shorter. That's the, even shorter. So that'll be the big issue with Hargreaves is when you're that size, how high are you going to go? Because remember, a year ago at this time, everyone talked about Ifo Ekpreolamu, and I know he tore his ACL in the bowl mm-hmm. process, and that affected yeah. it, but he was a sixth-round pick. How much higher would he have gone without the torn ACL? I don't know. I mean, Todd Gurley tore his ACL uh, in October was, was still a top-ten pick. Yeah. So uh, that'll be the question with Hargreaves. And I, I very, very good player, no question about it. But the size comes into comes into the equation there. I look at two other corners in the SEC, uh, Cam Sutton from Tennessee, who is uh, 6'1", 195 pounds, Tredavious White from LSU is 5'11". And I think White has been a little bit up and down in terms of the numbers against him. But uh, I'd take both those guys, I think, over Hargreaves, really? especially in this system, too, that you see here in Philadelphia, just the, the importance they put on size and length at that position. All right, so the next top 25 matchup, I already mentioned the whole Notre Dame scenario, losing 24-22, to not able to get the two-point conversion at the end of the game. Uh, interesting battle of top prospects. You have Ronnie Stanley, left tackle for Notre Dame, going against Shaq Lawson from Clemson. And there was one vine that I saw going out, uh, on Twitter last night during the course of the game where Lawson took on not just Stanley but another def- another offensive lineman as well and just shed both of them on his way to the quarterback. Uh, what were your thoughts on Lawson overall as a prospect? I know Stanley was someone who last year considered coming out in the draft and could have been in that mix among the offensive linemen in the first round since outside of Scherf there was really no clear-cut number one offensive lineman. He could have been very much in the mix for that spot. Yeah, no, no question about it. I, I like Stanley a lot. Um, 
maybe not the best offensive lineman. And it definitely is the best off- offensive lineman, I would say, in the senior class. But uh, overall, we'll see what juniors declare. But uh, Stanley is very, very talented. I think he's got a lot of position versatility. He's able to do a lot of different things for you, especially in the run game. Um, but you look at Shaq Lawson, a guy that I haven't put a full uh, effort into studying yet just because he's, a little, uh, he's an underclassman still. But uh, How many guys have you studied to this point? Uh, probably close to 150, okay. I would think. I would say probably about 150, and most off of last year, uh, last, last year's tape. Yeah, okay. Exactly. No, I haven't put too much work into too many guys from this year. Obviously, we're still in midseason, and I'm doing everything for yeah. Eagles game plan and Eagle line of sky and everything. So, um, but you look at Shaq Lawson, a guy that uh, was a reserve last year, played mostly you know in relief of Vic Beasley and some of the other edge rushers they had there. Clemson uh, still finished the season with 44 tackles, three and a half sacks, uh, 11 TFLs. Now as a starter this year is making plays, and we know what kind of body type they like there at Clemson. You know the kind of edge rushers they like. So uh, that's what you can expect from a guy that is 6'3", 270 pounds. I mean, he's got a little bit more meat on the bone there uh, than uh, Vic Beasley does or did coming out, and obviously he was a top pick from, uh, for, the, for the Atlanta Falcons. So, um, you know, Lawson's talented, and I'm excited to see what he brings the more I get to study him. You mentioned Eagle Eye in the Sky, the podcast you do, and one of the uh, segments you do every week is with Greg Cosell, the Chalk Talk, and I was actually listening to that on my drive-in, just getting your thoughts on today's matchup between Philadelphia and Washington, and you quickly mentioned the Georgia-Alabama game, right. saying how Georgia, they you know start off fast, it seems like, every year, and they always have that one crushing defeat, and you're yes. like, well, you hope that this isn't it. 38-10, to 10, yeah. the worst home loss of the Mark Richter. I haven't seen... Uh, Eagles Network producer Mark LeBlanc at this morning, uh, Georgia alumnus. If he, if he shows up. He may not show up, yes. <laughs> I was going to say. Georgia didn't yesterday. Yeah, so certainly <laughs> certainly not going to be someone I want to be around most of the day. Uh, but edge rusher A. Sean Robinson, one player I want to ask you about, Fran. Certainly a force in this matchup and someone who's going to be one of the top prospects from uh, this Bama defense who's going to be – available in the upcoming draft yeah no question about it and Robinson was a big-time recruit coming out of high school uh he was a five-star player out of Texas chose to go to Alabama he's 6'4 315 pounds really really big kid has great athleticism for that size you saw the ability to play from a number of different roles there along the defensive line he does and and tackle he's both right yep and they they, they're a very multiple front so that's why they can kind of afford to move him all over and Alabama they've never been a big uh you know team in terms of you know they're not LSU or Florida where you see these dynamic edge rushers with uh, great hip flexion and the ability to turn the corner with great athleticism they're more of like the strength power leverage guys uh, that we've seen in the past come from there like a like a Courtney Upshaw who was a second round pick of the Baltimore Ravens so they're able to move Robinson all up and down the line uh, played mostly as a right defensive end as a four or five technique uh, there in that three four front and then sometimes when they go to the four man lines he'll play inside or outside just depending on the situation but uh, a guy who's really, really competitive, plays up and down the line of scrimmage, can play sideline to sideline. Um, the one area I wanted to see him improve was his just his arsenal in terms of attacking offensive linemen. But you see the raw ability with him. You saw the, the battle that he had last year with Lyle Collins of LSU was one of my favorite one-on-one battles that I watched a year ago. Um, and you just see a guy that you know has that athleticism, has the size, has the girth uh, to be able to hold up at the point of attack. I really liked him against the run. I thought he used his hands really, really well. Uh, a really, really interesting guy moving forward. Definitely one of the best defensive linemen in the country. It's amazing when you watch Alabama and you appreciate the defense that they play because it just seems like defense is a lost art in college football. And you see some of these track meet scores, you know, like the TCU game, the Baylor game, and you're just wondering, is this an epidemic? Just because everyone who's a top-tier athlete is going to the offensive side of the football and that means that the defenses are depleted? Or is it just that the coaching and the rules and the scheming has just become so tilted in favor of the offense that they're able to take advantage. I think it's really, really hard to play uh, shut-down defense at the college level consistently through 12 games. It's just really, really hard to do that just because you're going to be going up against uh, top-flight spread offenses that are going to move the ball. I mean, they're going to, they're going to get their yards and they're going to get their points. I mean, that's just, that's just how it works. When you play TCU, when you play Baylor – uh, you know, okay, we're going to have to score 40 to win at least. you know, And that's kind of how it is when you play a team like Ole Miss. Now, Florida showed that they didn't necessarily need to do that yeah. yesterday. So uh, every once in a while, those offenses, and we've seen that in the past, you know, when, uh, when Chip Kelly was at Oregon and they were scoring you know, 60, 70 points a game, 
once in a while you don't if you if you don't have that consistent offensive line play that day or quarterback play that day you know the offense will struggle so that's what happened with Ole Miss yesterday um and it's what happens with a number of different offenses across the country now Georgia they're a pro style offense you know Brian Schottenheimer's an yeah. NFL guy uh you know they're they're a under center eye formation you know we're gonna run it at you and run off play action they just couldn't get it going yesterday. And Grayson Lambert had his biggest test against this Alabama defense. Uh, Nick Chubb, who everyone thinks is one of the best running backs in the country, obviously had his biggest test yesterday, and it, it didn't go well. He did have 100 yards. He and did. For the 13th straight game, I believe, yeah. snapping Herschel Walker's. Yeah, so Mark, 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 mark uh, will hang his hat on that for sure. <laughs> well, it's funny because after he said that, Mark, the ESPN, I think, tweeted out a gif of, like, you know, you know history for right. for Nick Chubb. It's like they're getting they're smacked. Getting, yeah. Like, who cares right no. now? It's one of those, oh, it's great little footnotes. But, yeah, they didn't get the job done yesterday. Uh, quietly, Texas A&M, the Aggies. Yes. 5-0. and uh, 30-17 to 17 win over Mississippi State. Uh, they have a bye before they get Alabama next up on the horizon. Uh, but Aggies, the last couple drafts, they produced a first-round offensive lineman. You could think of Jake Matthews, Cedric Abuehi from last year. And uh, this year could be a four-straight year with tackle Jermaine Efidi. It could, and if, if Fidi's an interesting guy because a lot of people that you that you hear from analysts in the uh, you know around the country, some are really really high on him. I know that uh, Lance Erline from NFL.com is a really big fan. I, I know there are he's others. an offensive line guy. He's That's an like his guy. strength. So, yep. uh, and he's a he's a big fan. I think when I when I've watched Fidi, you you see the natural ability. He's a big guy. Uh, let me I'm just pulling up his size here. Uh, let's see, he was. 6'5", 335 pounds, played some guard, moved to right tackle a year ago. They they wanted to move him to left tackle and take a boy he spot, but uh, they they did keep him at right tackle this year. And, you know, he's got, for that size, he's got really good feet. And that's the thing is big guys that have great feet aren't going to last long on draft day. So that he's got that in his pocket. But for a guy that's 335 pounds, I didn't see great movement in the run game. And so that kind of worried me a little bit. I think his technique, uh, his hand use can be a little bit better at the point of attack. And, and those are things that you can coach. I think, and that's what's going to be – he could end up being a first-round pick because he's got those natural tools. And if you can kind of get into him and see how much you can get him to improve – uh, that could go a long way for him. Then you get the natural debate that comes every draft season. Can you slide him from right to left? Right. With no problem. Sure. And that, that'll be the big question. Now, they, they didn't, you know, and they, they kept him at the right side. And how that impact, you know, why, did, why didn't they make the move? You know, what kept him from going to the left side? Because obviously they, they've shown the ability to do it in the past. They yeah. did it with Matthews. They did it with uh, Abuehi last year. So why not Afidi? So uh, that'll be an interesting uh, debate here as the, the draft. But, again, this guy's a redshirt junior, so he could decide even to go back to school True. as well. So uh, really, really interesting guy. And they've got – look, they've got a number of big-time wide receivers there – uh, and especially the, the freshmen. They've got a number of true freshmen that are making a, a ton of plays for them. Uh, but then even you look at the that position, you look at a guy like, uh, what's the what's the kid's name? Josh Reynolds, who's 6'4", 195 pounds, and for that size uh, moves really, really well. Uh, Speedy Noyle has made a bunch of different plays for him. Whitley has made a number of different plays for them. So, you know, a, a really, really impressive group of receivers. Let's transition to another battle. This is the last top 25 matchup that had two – teams that both were ranked going into yesterday's uh, games number 15 Oklahoma they beat West Virginia 44 to 24 player I want to ask you about Fran Eric Stryker linebacker at 13 tackles two sacks and a fourth fumble that was returned for a touchdown by a teammate yeah Stryker Stryker's interesting because he's undersized and there's two different ways you look at him you can either think okay this guy's playing as kind of a pass rusher lineup he was an outside linebacker in their 3-4 he plays out of a two-point stance I saw a, a, not the, a player type, but the way he was used. I'm going right. to you know, preface that. Okay. Von Miller. Okay. And that's the fair. The way he's used. That's fair. And so you, you look at him, though, and he is six foot. He's six foot, 220 pounds. So you're looking at him. There's no way that this guy's going to play as a stand up, you know, for the Eagles. He's not playing as a yes. three, four outside okay. linebacker. For most teams that play a three, four, he's not going to be an outside linebacker for them. Um, now, could a team look at him in a four, three team? see him as a strong side linebacker and use him like Von Miller, That's a, I think that's a really fair case you know, that, that you can make that. But there were a lot of areas where – because the athleticism is apparent, and you saw that watching them yesterday. Uh, the guy can fly. He can move all over the field and play a number of different roles. Uh, he's got great closing speed from the backside. He's got really good flexibility. can turn the corner and bend the edge. 
Um, but you look at him, one of the things that I was a little bit worried about, he there were a lot of plays where I kind of wanted him to, to show some competitiveness and show that high motor. And he just kind of he just kind of let plays go by, and there were, that was that was one thing that kind of that gave me a little bit of pause there. Uh, definitely needs to get stronger, and at 220 pounds, that's apparent. But uh, definitely needs to get stronger at the point of attack. I wanted to see him use his hands better uh, as a pass rusher and as a run defender. Really, you know, just the, the, a, lot, a lot of small things with him. Um, but you look at the size and athleticism. He has that ability where could he be a weak side linebacker in a four three? Could he be a strong side and, and play that Von Miller role? I think the latter actually makes a lot of sense. So uh, I think your your comparison in terms of how he's used to Von Miller is pretty good. Wasn't my comparison? I, sure. I read that in, in looking up some information about him. So. And I, I think that's I think that's fair. Right now, you can I could see how people could look at him in that yeah. way. Uh, wasn't Shaq Thompson? It was uh, he? Yeah. Ca- that comes to mind almost in a way as well, just from the size standpoint. Right. When you mentioned out the measurables, I'm sort of like, and where did Jack Thompson go? First round pick to, to a four three team, to a four three team. And that, but you know what's interesting too is some people have talked about Striker as a safety. You know, and that's the thing is there's <laughs> that's all what these last year with Jack Thompson. These, there's yeah. all these different opinions on on Striker and what he could be at the next level. I. I tend to think he's more of the strong side linebacker or even as a weak side backer. I don't know that he's athletic enough to play as a safety every single down. Um, you know, that'll be interesting. Strikers, Strikers, an intriguing guy. So I want to transition from that matchup to a feature that you do, a column that you do on our site called Saturday Scouting, uh, where you pick out the five best one-on-one matchups. You talked about the you know the Lyle Collins matchup. Uh, with Ashawn Robinson last year, so you try to find those matchups, and quite honestly, I don't know how you do it because of you're going through all these games and you're trying to pick out these individual matchups. Yet I have uh, a spreadsheet. I can imagine. <laughs> I, I have I have a spreadsheet where I diagram all the uh, as I'm watching guys, and I did it as I started watching guys in the summer. I say, okay, so they play. Uh, I watch Eric Stryker, and I'm like, all right, let's see who Eric Stryker plays this year, and try and find some matchups there, and that's all in a spreadsheet. So this is already like done. Oh, it's all it works done. I just got to pick the matchups, and I want, gotcha. and I try and you know, as a guy like Alex McAllister from Florida starts to emerge, and uh, you know, the Carl Carl Nassib from Penn State as he starts to emerge, and I start adding them into the sheet so I can take them into account. But that's how I come up with that. All statement. right, so I want to review. So yes, to further plug review. the column, and what was interesting was I'll delve into this as we talk about these matchups is. Some of the guys you pick out are making highly plays that are generating buzz on Twitter. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, so I try from Eagles Insider, try to retweet to be like, guys, Fran's already on this. Fran's already talking about these I guys. Try, I try so. to do it. I try. Uh, so I'm going to stick with the Oklahoma West Virginia game. Yep. He had running back Samaje Perrine. He only had 65 yards rushing, and the player who was generating some buzz on Twitter, safety Carl Joseph from the Mountaineers, who had a highly real hit that I don't know how he was not called for targeting. I yeah, I saw, I was watching the game at that point. Uh, you were talking, talking about the one along the sideline. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That was a big hit. That was, that was a big hit. I was kind of surprised he didn't get the flag thrown on too. Yeah. Seemed like the receiver was defenseless on the play. Um, but you had that matchup there. And then you also had another one from that game. Sooners receiver Sterling Shepard. Only two catches for 35 yards. He did have a touchdown. But against Mountaineers corner Dowell Worley. Now one thing that in your column you wanted to highlight was how are they using Worley? Because... If they're going to move Shepard around the formation, would they have Worley follow him? Did you were you able to track what they did with him? A little bit, you know. When I when I watch the games on Saturday, I I almost want to take it in as a fan, and as opposed to trying to focus in on, on one guy or you know. Certainly, but yeah. I did want to keep an eye on that just because I wrote about it, and that was probably the best twelve o'clock game that that was on TV that I wanted to watch. So I did watch that game. They did not shadow Worley around the formation with okay. Shepard. So, um, and I kind of thought that that would be the case. As I was writing the column, I thought, okay, you know, there's a chance that they do this, but I think it's more likely because kind of a mismatch in terms of body types. You know, Shepard's a little bit undersized, is really, really quick. Worley is a big physical corner that's trying to disrupt early in the down. If you beat him off the snap, he's not going to keep up with no. Sterling Shepard. So I kind of thought, okay, if they move Shepard into the slot – he probably won't follow him. But if he's on the outside as a one-on-one receiver, now you're, you're, you might put Worley on an island with him and try and see if he can just disrupt early. So uh, once that, once I'm able to go back and study that game, I will be very interested to see that matchup. You mentioned earlier in the podcast how the top two teams in the country had ugly wins. One of your matchups centered around that. Indiana quarterback Nate Sudfeld, who you mentioned in your column, was injured last season but flashed on tape in the games that you watched. Going against Ohio State, well, Indiana led at halftime. Everyone was on upset alert. It looked like the Buckeyes might go down. And once again, he suffers an injury, an yeah. ankle injury. 
comes out of the game. They're trailing 13 to 10 at that point, and Ezekiel Elliott took over the ball game that from that does. point on. But uh, how did you think Sudfeld did in the time that he was out there? You know, I think Sudfeld is a guy, and I, I it's tough, especially with quarterbacks, to watch off TV, live on TV, just to get a general sense of how they did. But yeah. uh, the kid flashes, you know, and, and I'm not saying that he's going to be a first-round pick. He might not even be a second-round pick. But he was a guy kind of like Garrett Grayson a year ago that watching him uh, over the summer – I said, man, this kid's going to play. He's going to play in the NFL. You know, it might just be as a backup, but he's going to stick because uh, he's got tools. But then also, more so than because there are a lot of quarterbacks that play in systems like that, where uh, they, you know, obviously these these spread offenses, and they're a run heavy team. They're again leading the, the country in rushing, I believe. I'm not sure if that's the case after yesterday, but leading up to the game against Ohio State, they were. Uh, he's just he's got ability, but then he's also got the ability to throw with anticipation. He does little things well in the pocket. Uh, I want to see how he uh, continued to develop last year, uh, or from last year to this year. Had a shoulder injury uh, last off season, so that's going to be a big thing. Is you know how's the how the shoulder look uh, moving forward into this season? Did it affect his arm strength at all? Because there were some throws last year. I was watching Tevin Coleman, uh, you know, when he was a junior coming, you know, coming out of the draft out of Indiana, and I saw some of these throws. I'm like, who's this quarterback? And you know, it's Nate Sudfeld. I'm like, it's got to be Zach Sudfeld's brother. <laughs> and of course, he's Zach Sudfeld's uh, younger brother. Uh, so which get, one's the Studfeld? Because uh, Zach Studfeld became Studfeld, the tight end of Nevada last right, year. Right, and then, so. he, then he became Dudfeld. <laughs> he, uh, <laughs> he hasn't done much in the NFL yet. Uh, I would say this kid is probably a little bit more talented in terms of uh, with his, within his own position here in the NFL draft. I would say Sud, Zach's, or Nate Sudfeld yeah. is probably the better. Um Another matchup you had was Rebels tight end Evan Ingram. You described him as electric, which I thought was quite intriguing uh, for Ole Miss. You know, had three catches for 41 yards in the loss to Florida. The uh, last matchup you had was another very good game. It was uh, it came down to a last-minute field goal. Oklahoma State defeats Kansas State 36-34. to Emmanuel Ogba, edge rusher, had six tackles, two and a half for loss, a sack, and two hits. What did you think of Ogba's performance, and uh, what do you think of him in terms of a prospect looking down the line? You know, Ogba is going to be an interesting case study because it's almost like a Michael Sam situation where the guy's really productive, but when you watch him, you don't see a lot of traits that make you go, wow, this guy's going to be a high pick. You know, uh, he's got a good body, and that's the one thing. At least he's got that over Sam, yeah. where Sam, you know, was undersized, didn't have a great NFL body. This kid's 6'4 and a half, 275 pounds. Yeah. Uh, so he's got the size. Uh, the question is, is how good of an athlete is he? They don't really drop him in coverage much. There are times where he rushes out of a two-point stance, but mostly he's a three-point stance guy. Uh, doesn't isn't really explosive off the ball. Uh, struggles a bit bending and turning the corner. Doesn't have great uh, ability to bend the edge, and you see that time and time again when he's going up against offensive tackles. Where there are times where you just you expect him to kind of you know turn in, in that run that half circle, run the hoop, and accelerate turning the corner, and he's just not able to do it. He, he still finds ways to get by. But that's going to be one of the big thing, the big questions with him is what kind of an athlete is he? How explosive is he? Um, and there are a lot of other little things with his technique and things like that that I think are, you'll want to see improved. But the kid's a junior. I, to me, he should stay in school for sure. So, uh, but <clears throat> the thing he's got going for him is that it's not a great group of pass rushers. There are some great talents, but overall, I don't think this is a great it's group. Of, it's not a really deep group of pass rushers this year. So. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with him. It's interesting because there are things you can get away with at the college level. Right. And like you said, be productive, where in the NFL, it's going to get sniffed out. Yeah. You're not going to have a chance. And, you know, I, I watched him in the, the first game against Central Michigan. He was getting blocked by their tight ends. You know, by the, the tight ends pinning him inside on a, on a sweet play. Well, and he's not that's fighting. And that's against Central Michigan. Like, what's he yeah. going to do when he's going up against, uh, you know, a Brent Selleck? Exactly. You know, like, what's he going to do there? Yeah. And watching him for the rest of the year here as they get into conference play. Uh, will be really interesting, but he's been productive, and that and that's that'll be what he'll hang his hat on. So it'll be interesting to see who's number one in the rankings this week because mentioned Ohio State, their ugly win, Michigan State, uh, Kirk Cousins, the connection for the Eagles game today, his record for most wins in school history was snapped by Connor Cook on Saturday, but again another not very impressive win, most impressive win of the top teams, TCU, pasting Texas fifty to seven. Yep. And two prospects from this game who are in the Heisman discussion, and I know uh, definitely one of them you want to touch on, quarterback Trevon Boykin, obviously going to be a big name to watch yep. during the draft process. But how about wide receiver Josh Doxson 
who had seven catches, 129 yards, and a pair of touchdowns in yeah. the win. Uh, I think Boykin probably isn't a big-time NFL prospect. I, I'll just leave, I'll leave it there. I don't think that he's going to be a guy that you're talking about uh, in the first or second day of the draft. How it's, much are we going to be talking about him in the draft? I feel like he's the type of guy, though, that because you know he could win the Heisman potentially, even though I don't think he will, but – Let's say right now he's in the mix at least. Sure, he's going to be leading one of the best teams. You know, a team that looks like it's on the run to the playoffs, the Final Four. It seems like he's the type of guy that we could be talking about, but maybe I'd, that's that's where line changes. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that there will be enough people pounding the table for him in the media to say that this guy's a okay. first round pick that he'll get that buzz. I think there will be some fans that be like, "Oh, what about Boykin? Like he'd be a great fit for you know Team A, B, and C." Um, you know, I just don't think that there's going to be enough people, even from the the general report. You know, the the national reporters that are just follow, start following the yeah. draft in you know in February. I don't think that he'll get enough love there. So it'll be interesting. But let's go, Doxon. Doxon, okay. this kid's a big kid. He moves better than what people I think give him credit for. Uh, you know, you looked at the other senior that everybody talked about coming to the year was Duke Williams from Auburn. He moves better than Duke Williams, and they're about the same size. He's his ability to go up and win at the catch point where not even just in those contested situations but he doesn't he doesn't just jump it's almost like in slow motion like he like almost like MJ where he just goes up and he just like floats in the air he makes it look so easy at the catch point he catches the ball effortlessly uh, and you see the ability to just kind of have good, really, really good body control and sideline awareness. Made a number of tiptoe catches, both in the back of the end zone, uh, in the corner, along the sideline. I mean, he's just got great uh, ball skills and the ability to go up and win. Um, and the thing that I wanted to see this year, because he had the ability to separate, he saw you saw the quickness from him a year ago, but I didn't see a lot of the small things as a route runner last year. And I think he's gotten a lot better. You know, I, I watched a couple games from them so far, and he's gotten a lot better in that area. I think the one the one area of his game that he he still has to improve is getting off press coverage. I think the teams that have tried to get physical with him have gotten into his head quickly. You saw that from Baylor last year. Uh, I thought that uh, the Minnesota corners and the Minnesota's got a pair of, of good players at the cornerback position. Eric Murray was up in his face a number of different times and kind of got in his head. You can tell that it got it got chippy a few diff- a few times, and you can tell that kind of got to him. So uh, I think he's gotten a little bit better with his hands at the line of scrimmage. But that'll be an area where he'll still need to improve as he goes through the draft process. Does he win small and big? The question <laughs> you must ask yourself. So looking at receivers. Well, the big thing is is that they, you know he he just gets so there's so much volume there. I mean, every single game he's got twelve. He had almost twenty catches last week against Texas Tech. I mean, uh, so they put him in situations where you know he, he's going to get fed the football. So uh, I would say he's more of a win big receiver than a win small. But the, the fact that he's gotten better as a route runner, has allowed him to win in the small game as well. That's going to do it for this edition of Draft Buzz. Now we're going to transition to Pick 6. Now it's time for Pick 6. So for those of you who are new to the podcast, Pick 6 is a segment where we find a topic and we'll select six players based on that topic. And, you know, during the lead-up to the draft, it typically would be maybe the best big receivers, the best third-day potential picks, things along those lines. So with it being NFL season, I wanted to find a little tie-in to kind of you know go along with the Eagles. And the Eagles are in Landover, Maryland to take on Washington today at FedEx Field. So my assignment for, for Fran, since he's the one who knows the ins and outs of all these players at this point, was to come up with six players who would be potential fits for the Eagles but have Washington ties. Now, some of you are probably thinking, does that mean their last name is Washington, they're from Washington, this, that, and the other? And I said, you know, since it's, you know, they're playing near the nation's capital, you don't have to be a non-originalist when it comes to the Constitution. You can have a loose interpretation. Kind of take it as you will. So, Fran, with that in mind, your pick six, players related to Washington. Washington. All right. So, first one, uh, I went with last name. Okay. Okay. Uh, Adolphus Washington. The nose tackle from Ohio State, uh, 6'4", 300 pounds. Surprising athlete for that size. Showed the ability to dominate inside throughout his career. Was a big-time recruit. Uh, and the big thing with him is that for that size, he's got really good movement, can still get after the passer. But his strength is defending the run. He's a really, really good two-gapper. Showed that last year as a junior. Has continued that this year as a senior. Uh, for a 3-4 team, I think he's a really good fit. 
either at no, probably more as a nose tackle, but I think he's got the athleticism to be able to play defensive end as well in that scheme. I think he's got, he's got really long arms uh, and just that girth inside. I mean, he's, again, he's a big kid. He's 310-plus pounds. Um, you know, really, really impressive size. So I, I like Washington as a defensive lineman in a 3-4. Right, I like that. So you go with the name to start things off. Go with the name to start things off. So second, I wanted to go with a kid that plays in the vicinity and is from D.C., so you got Sean Davis, the corner from Maryland. Uh, very, very similar to Eagles cornerback Eric Rowe. Uh, Interesting. Played safety as a junior. They moved him to corner in the latter stages of last year, and now he's a full-time corner this year. Um, from all reports that I had heard, had a great spring uh, at the cornerback position. And I think he's followed through with it this year. He's, he's played very, very well. Uh, and you see the athleticism for his size. He's... 6'2", I want to say he's 6'2", 210 pounds. Um, but, you, you know, you see the size of that cornerback. He shows the ability to press at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, he's 6'1", 200 pounds. Uh, you see the size. You see the length at the line of scrimmage in press situations. You see the competitiveness. Uh, and I, he's got the ability to turn and run. Even though as a former safety, he's got the ability to turn and run with receivers downfield. Uh, I think that he's got the athleticism to do it, much like Rowe coming out of Utah. There's the question, okay, can can he – play with his back to the quarterback, get in phase, and then look and find the ball late. That's a question that I think he'll want to answer this year. Um, but Davis is really, really intriguing. He's from Washington, D.C. Maryland is right down the road there from, uh, you know, from the nation's capital. So I went with Davis there as the number two guy for the relation to Washington. Tough game for uh, Maryland. Yeah. Well, it's been a tough season for them. Yes. They got, they got roasted by Bowling Green a couple, a couple weeks ago. They got killed by West Virginia last week. Uh, and then they slaughtered lost by Michigan. Yesterday. It's, it's yes. how many uh, synonyms can you come up with for yeah for losing badly? Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it hasn't been pretty for them. It's interesting. You have the row comparison, and you mentioned things like running in phase, being able to find the ball, all things that we saw last we week. We saw last week, and that's what was really impressive. And I actually I meant to you know leading up to the preseason, I worked with Mike Mayock to put together those breakdown pieces in game, and that was the big question for him with Rowe was can he go and find the football down the field. And he did it twice this past week. So I meant to, I meant to reach out to Mike and say what he thought. But I love the again going back to your Eagle Eye and Sky podcast. You and Greg were talking about Rose's performance, and Cosell was like, "Look, you give Rose credit for making the plays, but should have been beat on yeah. both of them." You know, I think that I don't know. I I kind of were. I wish that I had like so you, you actually that disagree? conversation a little bit. You know, I think that yeah, he he got beat off the line, but yeah. uh, I think the ability like. I think a lot of cornerbacks get beat off the line. You know, not I would say most cornerbacks get beat off the line. And the question is, how do you react once you are beat? You know, and I thought that he did a really good job getting back in phase and putting himself in position to make a play. So, if you watch the Kelly Strader, which Fran produces, uh, Chip Kelly did the all twenty-two of the interception, and I liked how he showed how he really pushed Smith to the to the sideline. Yeah. Really made it tough for Fitzpatrick. Where okay, everyone wants to knock Fitzpatrick for not being an accurate thrower. That was a it was that a tough was a, throw. Had to put a teardrop in there yeah. if he was going to make that play. No question. So. It was a it was a, a great play by Rowe. So, um, so number yeah, three, so that's Sean Davis for the the sec the uh, third and fourth guy. I want to go with two players that are from the state of Washington. State of Washington. From okay. the state of Washington. So you start with cornerback Kavari Russell from Notre Dame. Uh, has good size. Missed all of last year due to the academic uh, deals there. He said, you know. It's kind of a he said, she said kind of deal. He says that he didn't cheat on a test. Whatever that is, you know, you take that out of the equation. Very, very talented player. I mean, he's got good size uh, at 6'1", 196 pounds. He's got good movement. He's reported in the uh, the low 4.5s, high 4.4s in the uh, in the 40-yard dash. Um, you know, his size and, and movement – is going to get is going to result in him being a pretty high pick. Now, is he a first rounder? Is he a second rounder? Third rounder? Whatever. I think he's going to be a, a first or second day pick. Um, I think that there are some times where he loses his guy a little bit in man coverage, and I think it's more of a technique thing than an athleticism thing. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see there with Russell. I, I've watched one game of his so far this year uh, against Virginia in that big game uh, against the Cavaliers that kind of came down to the wire. Russell's an impressive guy, you know, and so how it shakes out here with this cornerback class that the seniors don't have a, there's not a number one guy there in terms of, oh man, I need to get this guy, but I think there's some good depth up top uh, in the cornerback class from the senior group. The, the junior group has a ton of really, really talented players at the cornerback position. It doesn't matter who declares who declares, who doesn't. Exactly. But Russell, Russell's definitely one of the, probably one of the top five senior corners in the country uh, in terms of his size and athleticism. And then uh, the fourth guy, uh, from the state of Washington, 
uh, from Tacoma, Washington, Zach Banner, who's a junior offensive tackle from USC. He's listed at 6'9", 357. Last Jeez. year, he played at 383. And you're thinking like, oh, man, like, okay. So uh, just a little background. I, when I went to go watch the USC offensive line, they've got three guys up there. They've got, uh, they've got Chad Wheeler, the left tackle, who tours ACL midway through last year. They've got Banner, who's you know a behemoth, yeah, and then they've got their center Max Turk, who's a stud, uh, just like one of probably one of the best centers I've ever watched. So I watched, so I'm like, all right, I'm gonna, I want to watch Wheeler because he's got that frame, that left tackle frame. I heard good things, and I was like, I guess I'll just watch Banner, even though I was like, ah, he's 380 pounds, yeah. like he, you know, that kid moves pretty well for 380 <laughs> pounds. He played basketball for USC. Really? Yeah, his first couple of years he played basketball there. So uh, he's got pretty surprising athleticism. I haven't watched him yet this year. Um, I know he's lost a ton of weight, so that athleticism may be able to show even more. But I, I wouldn't write that kid off because he's, he just destroys people at the point of it. Like just you, may, you hit him and you're not going anywhere. You're, I mean, he throws people aside in the run game. People try to bull rush him and don't, and don't get anywhere. Uh, really, really, just an immovable guy at the point of attack. So I was, I was pretty impressed with Banner uh, watching him. So, you know, will he be a fit for the Eagles? I think that he's got the athleticism to potentially play as a tackle. He's probably well, too tall to play guard, so I think he's a tackle only. Well, you think of Dennis Kelly, and you sure. think he would be. But again, Dennis Kelly preceded Chip Kelly here right. in Philadelphia. It's interesting because last year it seemed like the Eagles were looking at different types. Right, as we talked about that. And that's something that we discussed a lot where they seemed like they had interest in guys who were the, you know, the road graders, the run blocking type guys, but they also had the nimble guys who were better known for pass protection. So it's interesting to see how that's going to transition moving forward. Yeah, and, and like I said, the, the basketball background is very apparent when you watch him, just the, the way he moves, very much under control, good balance, good quickness, things like that. So. Banner's a guy to watch. The last two guys, uh, and again, the loose interpretation, these two guys were uh, originally signed with a school in the state of Washington. Uh, (laughs) Originally, okay. Originally. So uh, Devontae Booker, the running back from Utah, who a lot of people see as the best senior in the group. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think that Booker's a nice player, uh, competitive runner, got good size, runs through a lot of tackles, uh, and is able to make people miss that way. But uh athletically i have a little bit you know i have some questions there but then also uh his vision was an area where i thought that he left a lot of runs on the table in terms of missing his holes and things like things like that his best by far his best trade is his ability as a receiver he catches the ball really really well out of the backfield uh and he made a living catching those swing passes uh out of the backfield as a running back last year so and that's continued into this year so i think that uh, that Booker brings some value there. He signed with Washington State out of high school, so that kind of gives you the, the, the connection there. But um, Booker's, you know, is interesting in that I think that he'll, he'll probably stick in the league because he's, I think he's got third down potential. Um, but What's I'm not, his size? He is, let me take a look. I know, you know, people have loved the fact that he just, he runs through arm tackles consistently. He is 5'11", 212 pounds. So he's, he's, he's a, a big guy. He's a bigger guy. Okay, yeah, he's not he's a scat bigger, back. That's no, all I was saying. No, he's not definitely, a, definitely not. You know, he's, He's really, really physical. Uh, I think he's he's gotten a little bit better in pass pro, and that'll be the big thing with him, you know, because he's a great receiver. If he's going to play on third down, he's going to be able pass to protect. He's going to be able to protect. So, um, you know, there were a lot of times I, I remember last year against Michigan, or actually this year against Michigan, uh, he blocked a three technique that had a clear shot at the quarterback, and he stepped up and took on the three technique in the hole. I did not see that from him last year. So, if he can continue to take strides there, I think that that'll go a long way towards. Uh, him being able to stick in the NFL. And then uh, the the last guy we're going to talk about, another guy that transferred from Washington State. So uh, okay. Booker signed with them out of high school, didn't ended up not going there, went to junior college, and then ended up at Utah. This player transferred from Washington State, and that's Jordan Simone, the safety from Arizona State. You know, I don't think Simone is going to be a, an NFL starter, but he has got Colt Anderson – uh, Chris Maragos written all over him. A, you know, really, really competitive guy. Uh, he moves pretty well. He's a little bit undersized. He's 5'11", 190 pounds. Uh, not the most rangy guy, but really competitive. He's quick. He's instinctive. He is a great blitzer. They use him off the edge as a blitzer all the time. So one of those guys that's always around the football, you could tell he's a high-energy guy. He's get, you're, you could tell you're, this guy's going to be really good on special teams in the next level, and you could tell he's probably going to play for six, seven years uh, in that kind of role. So I, I like Simone, but 
not necessarily as a starter. Interesting that he's not a rangy guy. Typically, that size and that you know natural ability, you would think that he would be more of the rangy guy because you mentioned prospects who would fit the Eagles. You look at a Walter Thurman, and he's a guy who doesn't have maybe the prototypical size of the safety position, but because of the way the Eagles use the safeties, he's a guy who fits the bill. Sure, and has worked out nicely for them. Yeah, no, no question. And you know, the the big thing with Simone was. You know, I didn't see him as that explosive guy that's going to play center field. So, yeah. you know, but the the thing that helps is that he's got the ability to read run pass really quickly. So that kind of makes up for it a little bit. Um, angles downhill weren't great in the run game, and I thought there were sometimes where he just kind of ducks his head when he's defending the run. But uh, you know, that that was the big question with him is you know what what is his upside in terms of being a starting player? Nicely done. Good job with your Thank homework you. assignment. Thank you for this week. Uh, That's going to do it for Pick 6. Now we're going to head into our final segment, Draft Mailbag. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the final segment on this edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. I had to make sure I didn't say Eagles and Sire. It was yeah. actually it was on the forefront. You know how many times that right. I've almost said Eagle Eye in the Sky on on the Eagles and Sire podcast this year? I would understand. More than, and on the Now the, you do the College right. Draft podcast with <laughs> Ross Tucker. That's what, at least it's, you know, kind of interstate branding if you say, right. you know, Eagle Eye on the Eagles and Sire or, you know, that on Journey. If you're talking about a competitor basically on the <laughs> Well, college luck- draft podcast, well luck- luckily with the college draft podcast, I just sit and let Ross do all the talking. And when he asks me a question about college <laughs> guy, I just I just chime in. So uh, Ross is good in that way. Uh, so we solicited questions uh, from you, the fans out there on Twitter. Uh, and the first one, and I thoroughly enjoy this, is the fact that it comes from a fan of the Eagles Insider podcast, our friend, oh, wow, hmm, uh, who likes to talk about different types of Johns, to say the very least. <laughs> Uh, we'll have to get some draft Johns going here for uh, the podcast, but uh, he wanted to make sure that we note that if we use a question, that he used 38 question marks. He wants to know about guards, and of course, all questions about the uh, guard position with obviously the struggles of the offensive line to begin the season, but furthermore, now that Andrew Gardner is, is down for the season, it looks like Matt Tobin will slide in and be the starter at right guard. I'm hoping that nothing's wrong with Jason Peters. I know he's questionable coming to the game today with a quad injury. I'm hoping that he'll be able to play. I believe I saw Albert Breer said that he was probably going to play. He's probably going to play. Okay. And I certainly would expect yeah. it. So so you get Matt Tobin in there. but I, And I think it's all unfair, some of the criticism at the guard position, because I think there's been struggles all across the line. Right. I don't think it's just the guard position, but because they're the two new guys. They're the guys who don't have the top billing, the – you know, the Pro Bowls, the number four overall pick like Lane Johnson, they're kind of the scapegoats, but I think the blame could easily be spread across the O-line. Sure. But with that being said, who are some of the top offensive guards who could be potential prospects in the upcoming draft? Well, one guy I talked about uh, in Saturday scouting this week was uh, Cody Whitehair from Kansas State. Um, a little bit undersized for the tackle spot. You know, he's under 6'4", uh, 309 pounds. He looks like he's got shorter arms for the position. Played guard in the past, was a left guard uh, there for the Wildcats in 2013. So I kind of see him shifting into that role moving forward. Um, surprising athlete for the position, you know, for, for a guy like that. And, and Kansas State always has guys like that that are, you know, those competitive, hard workers, try hard guy. Um, and then they kind of surprise you with their athleticism. And Whitehair was definitely a guy uh, that fits the bill with that. I think that he anchors really well in pass protection. Um, the big question with him is his length. So I think overall, I think he's probably going to slide inside to guard. He's got really, really strong hands, the, the ability to move people. So Whitehair is a guy that I think can make that tackle to guard transition and play pretty well inside. We've talked about uh, a lot of different players, you know, leading up to the, you know this point in the season. LaRaven Clark from Texas Tech is a guy uh, that has played guard in the past as well. He's six five, three hundred sixteen pounds, has really good length uh, and has good athleticism. Technique was his big thing. You know, his hands were all over the place a year ago. His uh, his pad level, I think, was up and down. So the little things, you're going to have to coach that kid up. And you usually do out of systems like that. Um, but I think Clark has definitely uh, definitely has NFL ability. A lot of people are on Landon Turner from North Carolina. 
I haven't studied him yet, but uh, hope to soon. Spencer Drango from Baylor. A lot of people, uh, he's the left tackle there and has had some injury issues in the past, but a lot of people see him as a guard for the same reasons that we said for, for white hair. Uh, you, know, you can go, I mean, Vidal Alexander from LSU was played guard. Uh, I think Max Turk, they, I mentioned him earlier from USC, yep. uh, was a center. He was their left tackle uh, in 2012 as a starter, as a true freshman, played left guard in 2013 as a starter, and now he's their center. The kid is his movement and his ability to go up to the second level is unbelievable, but he's got great length. I mean, uh, you know, you look at the guy and he's got, ta- he looks like a tackle playing center and, but he looks like Jason Kelsey really. I mean, it's, he's kind of freaky that way. Like he's a, I, I'm honest. He's might be maybe the best interior lineman uh, that I've watched, you know, over the past few years. Certainly. So, I mean, I mean, I don't want to look this far down the line. Is he a, <laughs> is he a top ten? I, I don't pick? think I don't think he'll be that high. I mean, okay. I, it's it's early to say at this point, but it depends on who else is yeah, in the class, of exactly. course. But I mean, is, are we talking that kind of you know caliber? Because we've seen you know look at Brandon Scherf right. is what in, sure. in the, you know top five right this year. So well, you look at Turk and he's he's six six two hundred eighty five pounds. So. He's lean, and that'll be the big question: is can he hold up at the point of attack? Um, the other issue too, and I, and you know, I've I've asked this question to some people. He was a, he's been their center the past couple of years, and everyone talks when you talk about quarterback Cody Kessler, but how good he is under pressure because he was always under pressure in 2014. Well, as the center, how much blame do you put on him for him why always, is he always being? How, why is he always under pressure? Where the protection's not set right, you know, and that could be on Kessler. It could be on. T- that's tough to say. We don't. We don't. We don't know that answer. But um, you know, that'll be that'll be the question. But if he's a guard and he's not making the protection calls, okay. That now now you know what can he do for you? But I think Turk can definitely play guard. So uh, I'm excited about that kid. Another uh, I mentioned earlier in the podcast, Fran, about. To talk about how defenses have seemed – our defenses seems to have gone away. It seems like there's some philosophical discussion about that with the offensive line play as well. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Is it the, the spread schemes that you see on offenses and kind of takes away from, you know, the pro-style characteristics of playing the offensive line, which you need to transition to the next level? Is it – Well, we, it's funny that this know. has become part of the narrative this fall because remember yeah. we talked about it in the spring – about how offensive line used to be one of the safest positions in the Correct. draft, and now there's so many busts every single year. You know, and I don't know. There, I'm sure there's a couple of different reasons for that. Uh, and there was actually a pretty interesting piece on Sports Illustrated. I don't know if you read it at the right. end of this week. It was um, it was Greg Bedard who always does great work, and he did a uh, a roundtable with three offensive line coaches. I did not get to see that. No. Yeah, it was I good. It was a good it. piece, and just talking about you know the development. And he asked, you know, where, where, where have the, the great left tackles gone? And the coach said, I think there are a lot of really good left tackles in the league. I, th- I just think that people don't consider them that way. Uh, you know, the, the Willie Rofes and the, uh, you know, you look all around, the Walter Jones and the Orlando Paces and the guys like that. You know, where are those guys at? He said, well, there's actually there's, there's a lot of those guys out there who are just not talking about them that way because overall the narrative seems to have shifted that there's not a lot of great offensive line play. So, um I don't know. That's a, that's a really good question. I think that, sure, the, the CBA might have something to do with that. I think that the spread offenses might have a little bit to do with that. I think there's a lot of different A little different. A little yeah. of everything, so to speak. Sure. Uh, next question here comes from at Colin Benner on Twitter. Wants to know, where's the next Dawkins? Where's the next every Dawkins? Time, every time it's a safety, it's like, who's the next Dawkins? And I think it was a little tongue-in-cheek, but um, it's funny because I look at the Eagles and I'm like, I don't. Safety doesn't jump out of me right now. No. As now, at the end of the season, Thurman was a one-year deal. He's going to be a free agent. You're going to have to take that into consideration. Right. So, um, And I know the Eagles did use three draft picks on defensive backs led by Rowe, but right now they're all at cornerback. So you know, it's something you may have to address after the season. But again, safety is one of those positions, and we talked about this during the, uh, the lead-up to the draft last year, where it's tough because it seems like you put your least talented player on defense at safety, and you might have so few plays on a week-to-week basis to really right. judge them that you've got to watch five games just to get any kind of semblance on what a guy can do. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of people are really high. You brought him up earlier on the, the Carl Joseph kid from West Virginia. He's been really, really productive uh, over the course of his career for the Mountaineers. You know, I watched him, and there were some red flags there. You know, I thought that, He's got good good ability to play the ball in the air. He's got good hands, but athletically, I thought he was okay. I thought he was decent, but I wasn't overwhelmed. The big thing with him was uh, 
you know, his angles coming downhill, his instincts from that perspective were really, really worrisome for me. You know, there were a lot of big plays uh, that they gave up uh, as a defense last year, and he was at the forefront of it. So uh, while he is a tackling machine, while he is a big hitter, uh, now he's he's one of the league leaders or one of the nation's leaders in interceptions this year, uh, a lot of bad angles. And that'll be interesting to see where he ends up going. I think Jeremy Cash from Duke is getting some love because he's – kind of plays that that uh I think they call it the strike position there at Duke where he's he's basically a big nickel. He plays in the slot as a safety, he's six foot two hundred and nine pounds. Um but again another guy that I don't think that he's got great range. I think his his overall speed is gonna become is gonna come into question. Athletically I think he's okay. And again you he plays in the slot, he's put in position to to make those kind of plays but I I don't yet see him as a t- as a top flight player. Honestly the 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 best safety that I watched last year, and you take Jalen Ramsey, who played safety at Florida State last year, and now he's a corner. I take him out of the equation. That kid is a – he's probably the best corner in the country. Um, so I take him out of the equation in terms of the safeties I watched last year. The guy – he hasn't played it down yet this year, and that's Jalen Mills from LSU. Uh, you know, he's just under six foot. He's 197 pounds. Uh, he's got good speed off the hash. Uh, he's got the ability to play the ball in the air. He's a really good athlete. Uh, he's competitive. You know, there are a lot of different things that I like about him. He's, I think he's a solid tackler coming downhill. Um, you know, and again, I, I really like the ball skills. He started as a corner, moved to safety. They kind of envisioned him as the heir apparent to Tyron Matthew and then really was kind of thrown in the lineup there when Matthew had his issues there at LSU. So he's got a ton of playing experience. Uh, broke his leg in training camp. So he's actually looked – it sounds like he's going to be coming back pretty soon. But Mills is probably the best sa- – I would say was the best safety I watched last year. Uh, the last you know, we got it seemed like it was more position specific with the Eagles with the questions that we got a lot, one of them or a lot of them I should say revolved on the receiver position and it's interesting because the Eagles have used three very high picks in the last two years yeah. on the receiver position Nelson Aguilar the first round pick this past year and Jordan Matthews and Josh Huff in the second and third rounds respectively last year it seems like you need to give those time those guys time to grow right. and develop. I would agree. And I'm not saying that if, you know, Amari Cooper is there this year and is available for you, you don't take him if that's your best player. Right. Of course. But it seems like I don't see that being a position that you're going to invest a lot of resources in this offseason. Now we could see how the rest of the year shakes out. Uh, and that obviously will change things. But to me, you know, Aguilar still getting his feet wet, but the fact that he's playing as many snaps as he is is a good sign that at least they trust him to be on the field. You just obviously want to see production. Huff had the injury, didn't play last week, but, you know, for those of you who have listened to the Eagles Insider podcast know that I still think he has a lot of ability. Uh, and then Jordan Matthews has been the one receiver who has been productive to this point this year. It's, you know, I just think Sam Bradford's not getting a lot of help around him. Certainly, there's question about the O line, and there's you know throws that Bradford needs to improve upon. But I still think this is a good young core that's going to just need time to develop. Yeah, I think that you definitely want to let these guys gel. And we we talked about the skill sets of all these guys. You know, Matthews brings different things than Aguilar does. Brings different things than uh, than Josh Huff does. And you you see all the different skill sets there. You know, I, I'm excited about that group moving forward. I think that's a good uh, threesome to move forward with uh, at the receiver position, but. I think the other thing too is last year was a great receiver class. Two years uh, ago, two years have been great. Was phenomenal. Class. Uh, this year, I think, depending on who the juniors are that come out, isn't going to be quite that caliber. It'll be it'll be a good group, but I don't think it's not it's not going to be that caliber. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. It'll be interesting. Is there a skill set that you would want to see added to the Eagles at the receiver core? You know, I think that a guy that is. Big and physical. <laughs> you want you always want this big physical, but kind of has some suddenness to him and has some athleticism. You know, a guy like we we've talked about in the past with a, a Brashad Perriman, uh, a Dante Moncrief, one of those big physical guys, maybe uh, a one cut route runner type, where he's not you know this fluid athlete that a, that an Aguilar is, but um, you know has that ability to to win an isolation route, you know, a deep dig or uh, one of these fade balls down you know, down the field. Uh, you know, I, I could say, and there are there are some players that are like that in this group that I think uh, have that ability. You know, I think Aaron Burbridge from Michigan State, who's really just come out of almost nowhere uh, this year and has turned into one of the best receivers in the country. Uh, it kind of reminds me of an Anquan Bolden. We've talked about Dotson already uh, and his ability. 
Um, you know, I don't necessarily think that a Braxton Miller or Sterling Shepard fits that mold, but you know, if you look at the junior class, I think that uh, Mike Williams from Clemson, who's missed a lot of time, Deronia Wilson, uh, we mentioned Josh Reynolds. I mean, there there are some guys here that uh, have some size and have that athleticism, the ability to win uh, in those one-on-one matchups. All right, I think that's going to do it for us here on the uh, first in NFL season edition of yes. the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA. Uh, we've got to start doing some behind-the-scenes work to get ready for today's Eagles game. Yes. Eagles watching the kickoffs at 1 p.m. Uh, we will have this podcast up before that. So we hope you all enjoyed. Thank you very much for listening. Again, make sure to subscribe wherever it is you consume podcasts and to leave comments, rate, rate it, off, yep. offer suggestions, whatever you want to hear on the podcast Move forward. So for Fran Duffy, I'm Chris McPherson. Once again, thank you for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by AAA.